Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. But at the end of the day, we had to be able to explain it to the team. Right. And I can't go and tell the team and be like, well, the OPEX costs are too high because, you know, of this reason with the headcount and this and that. And I know, you know, so-and-so told you they love you, but really didn't mean this thing. Those details don't matter. What matters is these people are worried that their project's getting shut down. So the main thing I emphasize when I talk to them wasn't about like, oh, I did all of this work to try and save your project and I couldn't. I was irrelevant. The most important thing was about what's the impact for the people. Well, I've already lined up options and positions for every single one. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. As engineering leaders, we are often strapped for resources, so learning how to advocate for more support is vital. And learning when to say yes or no to new responsibilities or projects is a critical component of that. In this episode, Megan Cacholia, VP of Engineering at Google, reveals her best strategies when it comes to asking for more resources. We also cover removing linchpins and critical points of failure from your engineering team, effectively communicating change, balancing accuracy and simplicity when communicating with your team, managing peers and people with more experience than you, and frameworks to help you assess whether or not to say yes or no to new responsibilities. Let me introduce you to Megan. As Vice President of Engineering within Google's core organization, she's a leader in the cross-Google engineering effort, which is responsible for company-wide technical coordination. Previously, Megan was a VP in Google's research organization, where her team's work spanned machine learning and research, as well as production, including products such as TensorFlow. Megan also joined us at ELC Annual 2022. We actually shared the podcast version of her talk earlier this year. Check it out. It's called Lessons on Being Deliberate, and it gets into all things about taking ownership over your time. It's a great conversation. Check it out. Enjoy our conversation with Megan Cacholia. Megan, we just wanted to say welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us today. How are you doing? How are things? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm, uh, it's, it's raining again, but you know, that's all right. So trying to enjoy the little breaks in the crazy California stormy weather while they come. Uh, I still can't believe it's January already. Like the holidays are over and it's almost one weekend, all these things. Uh, so time has gone really fast, but yeah, I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm excited to be here. I really appreciate you guys inviting me for this. Well, I, I know like Jerry has been dodging power outages and he's been telling me about that experience the last you know yes. couple couple weeks or so. And so it's definitely been a little bit of a, a crazy time. But I, I agree with you. Like, I can't believe it's January. It's, you know, the middle of January now when we're recording this. And I'm like, I'm still sort of like writing down what are my personal goals or, or whatever for the year. And I'm like, well, you know, the first month is already almost gone. So it's definitely an interesting phenomenon. But anyway, we're excited to have you here. To get us into the conversation, we have a lot of questions we want to talk to you about. To set some context for people listening in, you gave a talk 
at our last year at our conference ELC annual, and you shared a ton of great approaches around maximizing time, advocating for resources, communicating trade-offs and priorities, all sort of like the tricky things that an engineering leader has to deal with every day, but are such an important part of being effective. And so we wanted to start off by diving deeper into a few of the things that you shared. One of the first stories I wanted to ask you about was you had mentioned that you had 30 direct reports at one point. And so I want to know, like, what, what was the story behind that? And then what did advocating for resources and support look like in that environment? 33, and it was miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I had gotten to the point where I told people if they didn't effectively utilize their one-on-one time, they wouldn't get as frequent one-on-ones with me. And I'd even move some of them to 20 minutes so that I could pack three in an hour instead of just having two, two per hour. Like It was horrendous. It felt like this awful Groundhog Day phenomenon where it's like, except it was a week, right? You get through a week of the one-on-ones and all these things. And then what happened? And it just started over again. I was like, oh my gosh. So at that point, um, I was a, an L7. I was a senior staff engineer. And Google was, it was smaller, still not tiny, but it was smaller at the time. And especially in the part of the company I was in, I was in ads at the time. And they were very much like, no, it needs to be a flat organization. We need to keep organization as flat as possible. You know, you shouldn't be adding more tech lead managers, TLMs, more managers, whatever. Um, and I remember I went to my manager at that point and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't keep doing this. You need to understand this isn't working. I'm doing a bad job, right? I really don't like this because I don't have enough time to take care of the people and listen to all the stuff they need and have enough time to actually do some work. <laughs> like, what am I doing? I'm supposed to be doing engineering stuff, you know, reviewing design docs, code, there's no time. And they push back and they'd be like, well, then just don't meet with people as frequently. I'm like, that doesn't work for me. Then I feel like I'm not doing a good job, right? Well, you know, our uh, director, our VP, they don't like adding more layers, you know this, right? Like, but I have to, I have to have something. And so I had to push multiple times and just keep being like, this isn't working for me. This isn't working. This is really bad. Like, I can't do this. Eventually, after a couple of weeks of me just like complaining, (laughs) my, my manager was like, fine, you can add one, one TLM. Now adding one TLM would reduce my load by like six people, right? So it still wouldn't take me to like something amazingly manageable. But at that point, I was just like, holy crap, give me something, right? I need to improve. So he said, fine, you can do one. You know, there was an L6, a staff engineer on my team who was very strong, who was very interested in taking on management. Uh, So we were going to move and have her start managing a subset. She was already a tech lead kind of for an area. So have her manage the folks that she was already tech leading, right? So the people would know her. Um, So I'm like, okay, great. This is so good. I'm so glad to do this. Thank God. And then uh, I go and talk to her. She's on board. And then I go and talk to the individuals that were going to move to her. It was five or six of them. And they were not super excited to move. Like they had nothing against the individual that they were going to move to, but it was more just like, oh, we really don't want to. Oh, we really like reporting to you. I remember even telling them like, I am useless to you right now. I'm not helping you. Oh, no, they're fine. It's okay. (laughs) So I went through, I told all of them and I tried to do it like within a span of, you know, a day, right? Like let all of them know so that way they're not all telling each other before I got to tell them. And then the next day, the most senior one of them comes back to me. He's like, hey, Megan, you know, the group, those folks, they want to all talk to you. Can we talk together? I'm like, okay, sure. Like, what's going on? And then they're like, well, we've collectively decided that we're not moving. We're not going to move to the manager. Rebellion in the ranks. And I'm just like, what? Like, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> you told me you're joking. No, no, Megan, we've collectively decided that, you know, we think this other person's great. Right? We even talked to her too. And she understands, like, she wouldn't want to move from you either. We don't want to move. We're not going to move. We'll just be lighter weight for you. Don't worry. You just don't need to meet with us as much, or we don't need as much from you. It'll be fine. And I remember just being like, but 
I made a decision like you're supposed to do it. Like, oh my gosh. So initially I was just kind of flabbergasted. Like, what the crap do I do now? This is not in any of the training, right? Like they never tell you people are going to do this. And then I ended up going back to them like a day later, talking to them being like, look, I need you to try this because I am not doing a good job right now. I understand you don't want the change. I'm not saying I won't still meet with you. I will meet with you, but maybe it'll be you know monthly or on demand, right? Like I'll reduce the frequency, but this is not good. I am not doing a good job as your manager. I feel bad about it. I know this other person will have more time. She's very invested in doing a good job for you guys. I will still be at the team meetings and help with the technical stuff, but I, this is just, we can't, you have to move. Like this isn't working. Try it for a quarter and then we'll evaluate and see how it goes, right? Because we can undo things. And I think at that point I made them feel bad enough. They're like, fine, try it for a quarter, Megan. <laughs> and then, you know, we, we, and I very quickly then told HR, please process the change because like they might change their mind and revolt again. Um, so like, let's, let's do this. I was so surprised that that was the reaction. Like I get it. I don't like manager changes either, but I don't think I ever thought to tell my manager like, oh no, we collectively decided we're not going to do it. <laughs> So in some ways, I was impressed with the, their creativity, <laughs> but I was not pleased with it at the same time. How did it go after they got convinced and then adopting the new reporting structure? After that, it went okay. Like I said, it's always tricky at first. And I made sure, because this person was also a new manager and new managers always have bumps. So I made sure that I also was giving extra support to this new manager as well. So that way these people wouldn't come back and be like, nope, nope, no good. <laughs> like, no, no, it's great. It's working, I promise. It ended up, they were fine. I ended up going fine. Like I said, I was still involved for things. And after, I think it was after another one or two quarters, I was able to get another TLM as well. Because then my manager was like, oh, you did do that and made it sort of work. I'm like, yes, please let me like have more. This is still, I still have like 20 something directs. Like this is still too much. One is not enough help. And I don't want to throw too many people on one new manager as well. That's how I actually got started in management. I went from zero to 12. And that's, that's hard due to somebody. After, you know, some time they all adjusted, but it was just the shock of it. They didn't want the change at first. The insights from the story is that 33 direct reports never going to work. And uh, it takes, sometimes you can force people to try something, at least experiment for them to see the, uh, how effective it is. Yes, I think that was the biggest thing where I was like, if it's really not working, we'll change something. But you have to try this because I'm telling you the current situation is not working for me. Like this is no good. I can't do this. I want to deconstruct the, the influencing side a little bit because when you, when you talk about like that conversation, of what caused you know folks on that the team to you know change their mind and be like okay we won't quote unquote rebel and you know say no it's your decision to reshape the organization but like it, it sounded like the way you approached the conversation was from like a place of honesty and authenticity and vulnerability of like you know this is really challenging for me and in order for like us to be able to to do what we want to do like uh, we have to figure out something that works better for us and and then if it doesn't work we can switch it and so it kind of gives almost like a roadmap for if the pathway doesn't go can you share any other lessons or or insights that you learned around the the world of influence influencing or driving change within a team or organization from this experience. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes you have to figure out when do you make it about them and when do you make it about you? Usually, usually when you're doing a change and things like that, you try and make it about them. This is good for you. This is what's going to happen. All of these things. In this situation, they didn't really like care <laughs> why it might be good for them. So I had to kind of almost flip and make it be like, okay, if you guys care that much about being with me, then you should care about me. Right? Like, so this isn't working for me. Right? I am not doing a good job. I feel like this is not good for me to be in a situation where I can't support you the way I want to. And if we change it, right, and have another, like have another manager there, then I can support that manager and support you guys better, right? But 
I just can't right now. So I think that was part of it too, was knowing when to kind of like, like I said, be vulnerable, knowing when to expose that vulnerability and when to kind of show that with people. And also sometimes knowing when I mean, there's some cases where you don't do that because you're not, you're not really sure how the other party might react. So you're more careful and put the work face on it first. But I think that's something I've had to learn how to navigate a lot over time is like, how much do you share? How do you share it? How do you frame it? Right? Who is this about and why? And what is it you're trying to get through to the person, the individual, the team? How will it best resonate with them? What do they respond to? And then, you know, figure out then how can you have that conversation based on those things? It's tricky. Humans are complicated, man. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm a, I'm preparing to facilitate a workshop in a a couple weeks on EQ and it's with primarily with college with college students and so there's sort of a level of simplicity to help provide like because it's only an hour long workshop so it's like you have to be able to like distill things down to like very simple actionable things so that it's valuable and people can walk away with things and we were talking about this world of influencing and relationship management as it relates to EQ and to take some of the messy relational things to down to like a distilled actionable like thing is very is very difficult but so as you're talking about the story I'm like I'm connecting the dots from like the preparation for this experience and I love the questions you ask about who is this about and why and then how will this best resonate as a way to prepare for that conversation is like a really actionable way to help somebody in that moment. What he just shared uh, resonated really strongly with me is one of the things I learned that I, I remember very distinctly from my one of my managers I, work, I was working with is that sometimes need to trade off accuracy for simplicity in order to get message through. So I'm curious the way you frame, how much information you give out, how do you frame the, uh, the story? Do you have an example that by doing that more intentionally, it come across successfully? I have a somewhat more recent example. So this was um, when I was in the research organization, there was a team that had moved in to report to me from Google X. Like They graduated into Google and moved in and um, they were doing some things that were very different from some of the other stuff that we were doing across the rest of my organization and research. And over time, we decided that one of the projects they were working on, it was very OpEx heavy, like it was very costly. And we knew in order to really make it work, we were going to have to double down on the OpEx costs. Right. The headcount wasn't that large. Maybe it was like 15, 20 people, but the OPEX was, was very, very high. There was a lot of pressure on like cost cutting and what should we be thinking about? What should we be doing? Um, and so we decided we, we really should shut down. We should wind down that project that is going to be so intense on OPEX because we're not going to be able to do it well. Right. Like I always kept getting pressure about like, well, just cut the cost and cut the funding. Like, what's the point of doing it? Right. If we're going to do it, we should do it really well. Otherwise, we should move these people to other things that they can do a good job on and not be making these trade offs that actually won't win. It's like a slow death. Right. Like the some project, you just can't do that. Like, let's just not do that here. Now, there were a lot of complexities in figuring out that decision, right? We had to figure out, well, you know, I had to talk to a bunch of other execs and different things about like, is there a place we could spin the project out? Is there a way that maybe some other org, like maybe cloud was really interested in this. So they'd want to help fund it, try all of these things, right? To try and figure out, can we do this? It was even more complicated because my boss had even told this team a couple months ago, oh, we love this project. God, like, you, you say those things, people think like you're really committed, right? Like, you got to be careful. So they were under the impression, like, of course, this project will live forever. I'm like, uh -huh, uh -huh. okay, I'm the one dealing with the financials here. So there are a lot of complexities just figuring out, should we shut it down or not? And what should we do? And who will make the final call? And how will it be done? And then we had sales folks, right? There were external partners that we had to figure out how to shut it down with as well. But at the end of the day, we had to be able to explain it to the team. Right. And I can't go and tell the team and be like, well, the OPEX costs are too high because, you know, of this reason with the headcount and this and that. And I know, you know, so-and-so told you they love you, but really it didn't mean this thing. In some ways, the, those details don't matter. Right. 
what matters is these people are worried that their project's getting shut down. So when it came time to communicate that we actually, yeah, we're going to shut it down. We have to do an official shutdown because we have to announce it externally, right? So that means we have to make sure, you know, people only have so many weeks to find a new project and all of these things. So the main thing I emphasized when I talked to them wasn't about like, oh, I did all of this work to try and save your project and I couldn't. That was irrelevant. It couldn't be saved, right? The most important thing was about what's the impact for the people. Well, I've already lined up options and positions for every single one, right? Like working with your leads, we've already made sure we have homes for all of you. You can pick, like some of you even have options. Do you want this project or that project? We've made sure we have homes. We're going to make sure we wind down properly. We're not going to yank you off because we know there were external partners you were working with. We want to wind it down nicely, right? And that's it. You focused on the things that mattered to them, even though I knew they might be mad at me. Like, why didn't you make the project go? Why didn't you convince them, right? Why didn't, you know, the boss said it was great. Why did, why are you doing this? Sometimes you gotta let them be mad at you <laughs> because defend me defending myself or defending the decision of how like, no, no, I did all these 20 things. See what I did? See my checklist? It's irrelevant, right? You gotta let them feel what they're feeling, but then focus on what is best for those people to be able to move forward through it and like you know then I can go complain to my friends about like oh it was so hard you know but the team doesn't need to hear that from me that's not what they need they need a leader who made a decision who was able to stand by it and who saw the team through it so I think that's one where it kind of resonates with what you asked about this whole like accuracy versus simplicity the trade-off I could have given a ton of details being accurate with him but it wasn't it wasn't the right thing to do this with the situation it would have been better for me maybe to feel like I could defend myself but that's not the point the point was to do the right thing for the team Thanks for the example. I really bring the learning to life. I wanted to talk about another topic you brought up in your talk at ELC Annual, and that was about saying yes and saying no. And sort of in this this realm, uh, you know, talking about this latest project of go, no go, the impact on people. I was wondering if you could, could just recap your approach here about saying yes or saying no, and then share a couple maybe stories where you had to work through your framework to communicate the trade-offs, the alternatives, or, or what won't get done. Yeah. So I think obviously it'll depend a lot on the situation, what you're being asked to say yes or no to. But one of the biggest things I always try and think about is like, okay, does it make sense for me to be taking this work on? Well, first, does it even make sense for the work to be done, period? Like sometimes you just go argue with someone and be like, we shouldn't even do this. Like, why are you asking me? So there's that first bar of like, does it make sense in general? Is this a good thing for somebody to be doing, right? And then the next thing is thinking about, okay, if it makes sense for somebody to be doing, does it make sense for me to be doing like me personally or my team or you know whoever is going to impact depending on what role yeah someone might be in at that point and then kind of thinking about okay if I'm going to do this what do I think it's going to require right do I think it's going to be just a sprint a couple of weeks I dig into something and then I'm done right is this some like longer term thing where they're asking me to take on another project or another team or lead something different right and say okay is this a short-term investment is this a long-term investment and then do i have the time do i have the bandwidth right what is it that i'm gonna give up in order to take this thing on now sometimes there might be situations where you do have bandwidth right maybe a project you've just kind of completed it or something's winding down so you can take something on without having to give up something else but i think a lot of times people by default, assume they're supposed to take stuff on and just keep taking stuff on and never like actually look at the backlog or, or say like, oh, actually, I have 15 other things I already agreed to do that I'm not actually doing much on. You need to understand like, do you have room to do that? Do you have time? Do you have the mental bandwidth to do that? Some things are much more mentally draining than others and context switch overhead is real. So you have to take all those things into consideration. Like, okay, I can do this, but I think it will mean these other things that I feel are either lower priority or easiest to hand off. Sometimes it's just the things that are easiest to hand off. I'll have to give those up or move them or, or delegate them in order to take on this 
bigger thing. Now, sometimes it's more obvious, right? Like say, for instance, at one point in time when I was in ads, uh, my manager had moved to a different part of the company and my new manager wasn't sure what to do. There were three of us, right? He wasn't really sure who to put in charge or what to do. After some time, they decided like, okay, Megan, we actually want you to take all this on. Okay, well, clearly to take all of that on, I can't keep doing all the same stuff I was doing day to day if I'm like doubling my org size, right? Like, it's just, of course, I'm going to have to change things. So of course, I'm going to have to decide I'm going to delegate these things. I won't be as fully in charge or like hands-on for some of this stuff anymore. Instead, I'll delegate to a tech lead. I can't, you can't just collapse all the direct reports as is underneath me. You know, we'll have to figure out how do we layer people so that my number of directs is okay and the cascade looks okay and it's not too deep. I think sometimes it's easier and more obvious to see these things because it's clear that it's like a role shift, right? Like you're moving into a different role. Sometimes it's less obvious, right? Someone will just ask you like, hey, there's this project and we really need someone to figure out what's going on. Okay, that's pretty vague, right? Like, does that mean, like, what does that mean, right? And then you can start digging in and be like, actually, this is a, I mean, this is a disaster and a half, right? Like, that team's arguing with that team's arguing with that. I don't know who the decision maker is. <laughs> like, holy crap, this is going to take so much time to unwind because there's so many people to talk to. Okay, if I'm going to have to talk to all those people, I can't just like create time, right? You have to give something else up. There has to be free time made. So then what are the other things that I'm going to stop going to or stop spending time on in order to give that time to the thing that is needed? I honestly think that second case is much harder for people to identify a lot of times. And I think a lot of times they feel like if they're asked to do something, then they're just supposed to take it on and magically create time. It would be great to magically create time. Well, maybe, maybe not, but it's not a skill I have. Like <laughs> So I need to be able to work within the time boxes. I do have and not make myself run ragged. So I really think that second one's it's harder. I mean, there's been other examples where I've said no on things, definitely, where people have come and they're like, we really need someone to lead this project, right? Like Megan, it would be great if you could be the leader for this project. You're so smart. You'd be so great at this. A lot of times it's like a peer trying to convince me like, no, 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 it'd be great if you could come in, step in and do this. And be like, well, I have contacts. Sure. I know some of the people. Okay. But I'm not convinced it needs me. However, I know these two people in my team who I think would do a great job. This would be a great learning opportunity for them. I will mentor them and help them do it. I'm not going to do it myself. And there's been many times I've done things like that where people are like, we really need you to do this. Okay, you can kind of put me on the hook for being accountable, but I'm not going to do I'm not going to do the work. I'm going to find someone else to do the work. They will come to me when they need help and, you know, I'll mentor them through it and it'll be great. It's a learning opportunity for them. I do not have the bandwidth to do it myself or I don't think it's appropriate for me to do. Sometimes people come they're like, "Oh, I've seen you do this before." Four. Like, that's nice. That doesn't mean I'm going to do it again. <laughs> like, let's, let's see if there's someone else that it's a better opportunity for. I think it takes a lot of confidence isn't quite the right word. You really have to feel like it's okay to say no on something and feel like, you know, that if the other person gets upset with you about it or whatever, like you're going to be fine with that. I mean, I've had that too. People are like, but I don't want that person. I want you. I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't think you need me. But if it goes bad and something happens, you can, of course, come to me and I will help. And I will keep an eye on it. And I will make sure I get updates and know what's going on. But I'm not going to be in the driver's seat. Um, So I think sometimes people forget that there's compromises you can make on things too. It doesn't have to be this strict yes or no. It doesn't have to be, yes, I take it all. Or like, no, I've never heard of it and I'll never see it again. It doesn't have to be that extreme. There's other ways you can still help and put your skill set where it's advantageous in play, but not be the one who has to do everything either. Let someone else have opportunities. It's great to let other people have opportunities. They're also hungry for things. Like 
give other people opportunities too. Pass it along. So in a way, not saying yes is a forcing function to explore all the other options. Correct. Because what they're asking may have a lot of assumptions. They may not have, they probably don't even know or have the knowledge of their other options. So it's safer to not say yes and go through options and only say yes when other options are not as good as saying yes. Yeah, or sometimes it's, like I said, there's some things where it might be obvious. Like, oh my gosh, there's this been, you've been the lead on this project and we think we're going to have to do a code yellow. Can you be on the hook as being the sponsor for and the leader for the code yellow? Okay, that makes sense because like I have the most context and like this is critical and it'd be kind of silly for me to be like, oh, put a new person in right now where it's going to be awful. Like, no, I should take that one. But again, there's other times where, like you said, people have come in kind of with their assumptions about why they asked you to do something, right? Which is fine. Everyone has their own thoughts in their heads and you don't have to necessarily agree with all the reasons for things, right? You can kind of work through and like I said, be creative about things. Oh, you want my help because I have context on this. Well, I'll give you the context, but I'm not going to do all the work, right? Like, what is it you really want, right? Let's agree on the problem to be solved. Let's not start nitpicking on the solution. Like, please help me understand what you're trying to solve and why. And then I can give you some ideas that might be different than what you originally wanted for how we can make that happen. And that's a framework you can use, whether it's someone asking you to do work or just trying to, like I said, solve some problem, right? Sometimes people come and they're so into the solution. It's going to do this and this, and I don't want to do that and this and that. I'm like, can you tell me what you're trying to do again? I don't, I, I missed it. I missed it. Can we take a step back? What exactly are we trying to solve here? And sometimes they're like, oh, I guess I, I need to think more to explain it. I'm like, okay, you come back when you're ready. <laughs> I can, we'll, we'll figure it out. Don't worry. <laughs> Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. There's a couple different areas in which you've shared different stories, like with the team lead restructuring story, where there was, you know, resistance or feedback around, no, we don't want to do this, but then you provided other options or alternative pathways. And that seemed like a really skillful way to, to help work through solving the problem. So I love that. People want control, right? Everyone wants control. Me too, right? People want control. So if you can find at least some things to give them some control or say over as much as you can, but still kind of within the framework of what level will work for the situation, I find that can be really helpful for people. When you can give them options, you should. People are smart and they'll think of things you didn't think of, right? You're only inside your own head, right? You can't be inside theirs or know some other ideas that they might have. And if you just go and tell them what to do, you won't get all that feedback or all those other suggestions or ideas on things. So I think that's another thing people can think of. Sometimes I think it's easier to gravitate to like an either or like, well, clearly either it's yes and it looks like this or it's no and it looks like that. What if it's like this middle thing that covers all of these, you know, cases and checks all these boxes, but that's the restrictions I put in place. And then there's lots of other levers that I don't have to be the decider for. Like, let the folks come back to me and tell me what works, right? So then they're happier with it. I'm happier with it because they're happier with it and we can move forward better. In what situations do you find it most difficult to say no when taking on additional work or a new project as an engineering leader? Like, is there one that is, is oftentimes like hardest to work through some of these frameworks with? 
That's a good question. Um, I mean, clearly when it's your boss, it can be really hard to say no, because you probably feel very compelled to say yes. So I think that's, that's clearly one. Learning how do you respond back when there's someone who is more, more senior than you or someone who is going to like, you know, be giving you your performance rating and your compensation, figuring out the right way to say no to them. Usually in those cases, I always try and make it no, but no, I don't think you want me to do this, but so-and-so does, and I can go help you convince them. <laughs> like, no, I don't think we want to do this period. But did you know someone else was thinking about some of these things? Maybe we should just see if they'll take on whatever extra pieces we need done. Anyways, um, I think a no, but resonates better than just a flat out no on things. Now, sometimes flat out no is the right answer, but a lot of times it's going to be no, but. So I think that's that's one, honestly. When people are upset or having a hard time, then it's all, at least for me personally, then of course it's hard to say, it's hard to say no on something. You know, I've had people come to me who are in a really tough spot because they're like, I need to find a new team. You know, there's all these things going on, like, or something bad has happened, or my manager's awful, or people upset, right? And, you know, I don't have headcount, I don't have a role, right? I can't just create one just because I have to follow the rules, but maybe I can help them find something else and at least connect them to other people and see if that'll work out. Those situations, I always feel, it's like you feel guilty, right? Like, I want to help, but I can't I don't have the power or the authority or just the ability to do it right now I think those times it can be hard to say no or people reach out to me wanting to talk about things I had one person reach out one time who was wanting to talk about do we're going part-time and like really wanting some advice like oh I saw your name on the list of part-time Googlers and you've done a talk before like can you mentor me and help me so I kind of respond back asking like okay can you tell me a bit more I'm like well I'm an L4 wanting to go part-time I'm like oh I haven't been in L4 for a really long time <laughs> like and I was an L4 when Google was very different right like my L4 experience will not be the same as yours just based on the size of the company and I went part-time when I was L7 almost L8 right so I was doing different type of work so I don't think I'm the right one to mentor you I just not on this stuff but I went through all the part-time Googlers list and I found three other people who it looks like they went part-time in sort of similar situations to you maybe you should try them right but you feel bad, right? Because you want help and someone actually like, someone took the time to reach out to you. And that was probably, it could have been difficult for them, right? To reach out and ask for help, especially if there's like, if I'm more senior than them, all of that. And so I, you know, I want to help, but there are situations where I'm like, it doesn't make sense for me. I'm not going to help you. <laughs> like, I really, I don't have the right information or context to help you, but I can at least try and find you someone who, who does. I think those are always the hardest for me because, you know, you feel bad. You want to help. But sometimes it doesn't make sense to. All right, we have we have a couple sort of scenarios. Jerry, I want to turn to you. Which which one do you want to explore first? Yeah, I was going through the list of topics that you heard today. I, I, I spotted the one that uh, navigating the power dynamics. I think that's really interesting and become increasingly relevant and challenging for leaders as they move up. So, Patrick, if I have a chance to pick, that that was my vote. Yeah. So, Megan, we'd love to get kind of your thoughts and considerations and approach around if you're managing somebody with greater experience or who has like incredible domain expertise. I think especially with so many different emerging technology areas where there's a lot of folks with like very specific expertise. Can you share a little bit about like your experience managing folks that are senior to you with or greater domain expertise and how you approach and navigate those types of relationships? So um, when I first became a manager, so I was in L6, I was a staff engineer, I was probably, holy crap, I was probably like 27 maybe when I first became a manager. I don't know. 
something along those lines. And there were over 10 folks who were going to be moved to me. And one of the individuals was going to be moved to me was probably about 60. And he was, was a really nice guy. He had worked at, I think like NASA, like different places before, like uh, amazing. He was the same level as me and they were going to move him to me. He was an individual contributor. I'm going to have him move to report to me. And I remember being so nervous about like, oh my gosh, how am I going to have this conversation, this first conversation with him of like, hi, I'm going to be your new manager. <laughs> So what I did is I remember I told him, like, I'm sorry, I'm a little nervous about this and I want to make sure you're okay with this, right? Because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm new to managing. You clearly have so much more work experience than I have, right? And he was like, Megan, don't worry about it. I've had lots of different managers before. This is fine. Thank you for saying something, but it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. I, I managed him for many years. And uh, it was very enjoyable. <laughs> and uh, I think the nice thing was that I knew I could just rely on him. Like He was great at mentoring junior engineers, like all of these things. And there were so many things where I knew like he doesn't need my help on this. So I should make sure I'm available to him where he needs my help. And the other stuff, like let him do his thing. Or, like, he's got it. Like fantastic. He has some good ideas here. So I think that was an interesting learning for me. It was nice that he was so open to it. So that made it an easier <laughs> like start. But also just to see that like, it's okay. Let him use his experience where he can. And then I'll use my skill set where I can. And hopefully we can help each other. Now, I've definitely been in other situations before where people were not as open to it, <laughs> especially again, when you have like a pre-existing peer relationship and then you become the manager and they start reporting to you. I think that's a really hard one to navigate. I've had to do it a couple different times in my career from when, you know, again, like I was, you know, in a line of like direct reports to someone, the manager leaves and they end up asking me, like, maybe will you step up and take on the entire org. Or sometimes it's bringing orgs together. We're going to bring all these pieces together. And Megan, you're going to be the one in charge of it. We're going to put all these under you. Um, this happened to me when I was a, I was an L9. And I had multiple other L9s who were told they were going to report to me as part of an org change because of some other leader moving and something like that. There was one of the individuals who was just not happy about it, right? He had nothing. nothing he's like, I have nothing against you, Megan. I'm like, okay, great. Well, it's not personal. But I think he he wanted to be the one who was chosen to be in that position. And it was hard to navigate, right? Because on the one hand, I'm like, I get that you wanted to be in that position. I didn't really make the final decision. This is the decision that was made, right? We both have to go forward with it. Um, let's figure out how can we how can we work together. And sometimes it would go fine, right? And he would be like, okay, you know, I've got this thing. I'll go do this. Other times I'd be like, oh my gosh, you really need feedback on this. And I'm going to have to be so careful how I deliver this feedback so that you'll actually listen to the feedback versus getting mad at the fact that I'm the one giving the feedback. <laughs> it was tricky. It took time to figure out how to navigate through. Some people don't want to navigate through, you know, after some time they might say like, look, I want to do this and I feel capped, right? Like I wanted a bigger org, I wanted this thing and they, they end up moving. And I've had that happen too, where people were just like, no, you know, I, I wanted the bigger role, the bigger scope. I didn't get it. I want to go somewhere where I can find that. And at some point you have to be like, okay, how can I make the transition go as best as possible for them and not take it too personally because I did everything that was within my power to do. And this just isn't what they wanted, right? Like they wanted something that I can't offer. Like I just don't have the ability to offer it. Um, but it's hard, right? Because then you feel like, oh, crap, man, like they did this, they gave me all this stuff. And now this guy's mad. And like, now my boss is going to see it. And like all of these things. But you have to learn to just be like, look, I did, I did my best. I tried, right? Like I tried different ways of working with this person. I tried asking for advice from others who know this individual so I could figure out the best way to get through to them. I tried leveraging, you know, my boss to get messages through. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I think that's a powerful lesson too. Like everything's not always going to go perfectly smoothly. And 
you just have to do your best and be okay with it. See if there are things to learn from it or not. I know I did the best I could. And I know this just wasn't the individual one more, more scope than I could offer. So what can I do at the end of the day? But that was a hard one. That was a hard one for sure. I'm sure it's really hard to do it, especially the first few times. I'm curious, what are the, the new mindset or paradigm shift that you have that help you navigate over time? I think one big thing was recognizing that complementary skill sets are a good thing. I think when you're more junior, you're like, well, I want my manager to know everything I'm doing in some sense. So that way, like they should understand everything that I do, like in minute detail, because they review my code and they do all of these things. And as you get more senior, I think you realize that actually, I don't want my manager knowing every minute detail of what I'm doing. I want to have, you know, scope and space to do my thing. I, of course, don't want them to not know anything about what I'm doing. I don't want them so lost that when I go talk to them, that they're telling people the wrong things. But you want a manager who is aware and who can dive in and help you when needed or know how to get you help when needed, even if they can't do it personally, but who isn't sitting on top of you micromanaging. And I think as you get more senior, you start seeing that. Actually, it's useful to have a manager who does things differently than you do. You, you learn so much. You can compliment and help each other on things. Same for peers, right? You want those things. Uh, but I think when you're more junior, you prefer people operate and do the same thing. It's just easier to understand and you learn a lot just from that kind of like more technically. Uh, so that's one big thing is like complementary skill sets or people approaching problems differently is actually a good thing. And you got to figure out how to frame things as an advantage. So people see why it's good, right? And they can see the benefits for themselves. I think the other big thing that I've learned over time is like trying to understand what, what some of the biggest pain points people have currently. My job is not to go in and fix them, but my job is to help them, right? Like I'm not trying to fix the person. I'm trying to help the situation, right? So if someone, you know, if someone new who's coming to report to me, I'll ask them, what is the biggest thing you feel you need help on right now where I can contribute, right? What are you most worried? about. Now, sometimes it's like, Megan, when will I get promoted? Okay, we'll talk about that. <laughs> like, but sometimes it's other just things like this project's really driving me nuts. I'm having a really hard time negotiating with this person. Okay, do I know that person? Do I know someone who knows that person? Like, how can I help you move forward in that situation? Because the more you can show someone who's moving to report to you that you can provide value to them, then usually it helps the relationship move forward. Like if I show that I care about the problems they're facing and I'm willing to do something about it, that usually will help the relationship start on a better foot versus if they come and all I do is start like telling them what I think they should do differently. Generally, that doesn't fly. <laughs> so you know, it's, it's better to try and get them to bring you problems so that you can help them or help them learn how to deal with things or how to do stuff versus try and tell them what their problems are. I really love the question, what are you most worried about? That unlocks also some of the interpersonal challenges, you know, outside of just like, what are you worried about at work? But like, what are you worried about? Where it's like, oh, I'm having friction with this person and it's really hard to work together. You can really start to unlock like, oh, that's a, a core part of what you're worried about. Like, okay, let's let's solve that. I love it. Jerry, we're, we're going to add that to our Friday chats. I'd always try to leave time at the end of one-on-ones to ask people, no matter who I'm meeting with, like, is there anything I can help you with? Right. And sometimes people are so surprised. They're like, wait, you're asking me that? Like, you're more senior. I should be asking you. And I'm like, no, is there anything I can help you with? And then I'll tell people, the ones who are surprised, I'm like, don't worry, there's no expiration date. You can go think about it. And you follow up with me. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. But I've had so many people be surprised. of like, that's the thing you asked towards the end of the meeting. I'm like, well, yeah, if there's anything else you've thought of that you want me to do something about, you should tell me, right? Like, what am I getting paid for? Like, if I'm not trying to help you solve your problems. Like, I don't understand. It helps people realize that you actually care. Like, I do care, right? But I want them to see that. And it doesn't mean that everything they ask me to do, I will actually do. Like, sometimes I might be like, hmm, I don't think we should do that. Have you thought about this instead? <laughs> but showing them that I, I want them to bring things to me so I can do something about it, I think is important. 
Sounds great. All right. I have one, one more question. It's sort of related to this. So this is sort of in the realm of the linchpin domain expert that is sort of the center of authority on really critical parts of the organization in the, in the product. So background context, this came up in a peer group conversation of some heads of engineering and VPs of engineering talking about, you know, we have this person, they're a domain expert, but their behavior is starting to become detrimental to the team, the culture, the health and our ability to get things done. And so kind of with that background context, can you share maybe how you apply some of these approaches like in that scenario to help that linchpin person that's critical to the organization from like a domain expertise area, but maybe is impacting other parts in a really negative way? Do you have any thoughts or, or approaches or considerations in that kind of scenario? Yeah, that's a tricky one. I've seen this before as well. I mean, look, I think one of the things it'll depend on like how they are negatively impacting things. Sometimes people become like blockers and gatekeepers, right? Like, no, you can't touch that because you don't understand how complicated it is. I'm the only one who knows. Like, okay, you're busy, dude. Like, what are we supposed to do? So it, it depends on what it is. Part of it's going to be just trying to see if there's a general way to get some of the feedback through so they recognize it. Again, one of the things I found that helps is try and figure out how can you frame it so that it will resonate with them. And so maybe it'll feel useful to them. Some of these individuals will be like, oh, I can never go on vacation because I'm always so critical and needed and I can't disconnect. Like, wow, that really sucks, right? We should figure out how to train someone up and you should have a couple of junior folks or more more junior than you folks who you're partnering with so that you can take vacations and actually disconnect. And so, the, you know, I don't have to worry about you being the only one that I can call about some of these things if something goes down, right? Wouldn't it be great if you could take a vacation and actually disconnect because there's enough people with enough context that we can do this? I mean, people be like, but no, it took years, years for me to learn all of this. There's no way someone could learn my job. I'm like, great. Can you break it into three or four pieces for me, right? Are there three or four people, right, who could cover different aspects of you? It doesn't need to be a one-to-one -one mapping. I think people get stuck on that in their heads. You know, I've seen other leaders get stuck on that too. Like when someone leaves and they have to replace, what do we do? Like, why are you insisting on a one-to-one -one mapping, right? Like you didn't create that job to look like that initially anyways. It's just how it grew over time with that person. That person's not there, right? Can you break it down into what are the actual areas of work that you need someone to know and see if now you actually have the people to cover it that you didn't think you had before? Why are you insisting on one individual to do this? Share the job back and forth. Well, I only have one head count. Okay, so now it's two people each doing half the job and half of some other job. Ta-da, you only need one extra head count. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but I think sometimes getting people to see it that way too. Like again, if you're working with a, an individual who is kind of a linchpin and they're like, no, no, no one can learn this. Okay, tell me the people who've learned parts of it, right? I don't need exact mapping. I just need enough and I need those people to be motivated enough that they want to learn. Right? I think that's the other thing too. If this person's hard to work with, people are like, I don't want to learn from them because it makes me feel bad. <laughs> like I don't want to work there. Okay, that's not great, right? Like again, you have to work with the individual that can't act like this with people and find, see if you can find ways to coach them and also buffer some of the behavior through if you have to keep an individual. But um, yeah, I think don't insist on a one-to-one -one mapping. I really think that's where people get tripped up a lot. That's just a great perspective. There's a lot that unlocked in my mind in terms of breaking up the role and finding the third way. I love creative solutions. Because right? people are like, we have to do it this way. I'm like, but we don't. You just have to solve A, B, and C. And I can do that in this way instead. <laughs> That's great. All right, Megan, it's time for some rapid fire questions. First one, what are you reading or listening to right now? 
I love to read. I read a wide variety of things. So my guilty pleasure is like rom-com books. I like happy books, especially before bed. Uh, so like Abby Jimenez has some really entertaining and fun books that I love. In terms of like more structured reading, I recently finished uh, The Emperor of All Maladies. It's a history of cancer and cancer treatments and things along those lines. It was very dense, but it was a really interesting and it felt like a story, but it was nonfiction. And so that was something I enjoyed reading recently as well that wasn't like guilty pleasure reading. Fantastic. Second question, what tool or methodology has had a big impact on you? Um, I'm probably supposed to say Google tools, right? Um, But uh, (laughs) tool or methodology, just being curious and asking questions. I think that's really the biggest thing that has helped me as I've gone over time. Um, Whether it's being curious about why someone's framing something a certain way, being curious about sometimes even just asking someone like, hey, you don't seem okay. Is everything all right? Being curious about people and how they're doing. I really think approaching things from curiosity and not making it about yourself. That's one of the biggest things I've really benefited from over the years. This is a bonus question, but you mentioned questions being one of the biggest tools. Do you have a favorite question that you like to ask yourself or, or other people? I always like to ask people at the end of one-on-ones what I can do to help, right? I think that's one of my it's one of my big questions kind of from a work context. Otherwise, I think it's always just like, what's going on? How are you? What's happening? And sometimes it's not just how are you? How are you today? Uh, especially for folks that you might know be go- who are going through something rough um, or different things going on because it changes a lot. And you just ask them, how are you? They're like, well, I'm okay. Are you today? Like what's happening today? And it gives people like an anchoring point to be able to share more easily with you how they're feeling because it's all over the place and might bounce around. I think that's one way I like to think of things as well. Fantastic. Next question. What is a trend that you're seeing or following that's been interesting or hasn't hit the mainstream yet? I do not have a good answer on that a trend I'm following. <laughs> I do not have a good answer on that. I don't think I'm much of a, a trendsetter on things. So I probably just know what other people know. <laughs> Maybe it's five puppies. <laughs> ah, yes. Puppy puppy therapy, homemade puppy therapy. Yes, puppies make everything better. Dogs and pets make everything better. I volunteer at the Humane Society one afternoon a week. Um, and I'm a cat matchmaker. I don't match the cats to each other. I try and match humans to cats <laughs> and find, help people find the right animal to adopt. But I think going somewhere different, like and being somewhere that's outside of my normal work circle and normal, kind of my work bubble is amazing because it helps reset my context, right? There might be something I'm really upset about at work. And then, you know, something frustrating me, something going on, these people, it's hard to deal with. And then I go to the Humane Society and talk to like the adoption counselors about the animals they're working with, or talk with the clients who are coming in, the prospective folks to adopt. And like it resets and reframes your perspective on everything to get out of your bubble. And it's, it's huge. Plus I get to go hang out with cats who are not sure if they're fond of humans, um, which is always kind of interesting. The ones that when you walk in, they just hiss at you. And I'm like, I'm just going to sit in the corner. I'm not going to bother you. See? yeah, nice. It's okay. But I think having something like that, where you get outside of your own normal circle, it really helps you keep things in perspective a lot. So I I really recommend people to find ways of doing that however they can. It won't necessarily be the same way I do it, but it really helps so that the day-to-day just, you know, crap that you might deal with doesn't weigh on you so much. This is one of my intentions for 2023. We're talking about goals at the beginning. I'm trying to find what that is for me right now. So this is really inspiring. Thank you. Uh, Last question, Megan. Is there a quote or a mantra that you live by or a quote that's really been resonating with you right now? I I don't have like a famous quote or anything, but I always just tell people do the best they can with what they have and that's enough, right? You learn from it, you move on. 
a powerful way to close this off, Megan. We covered so much in the conversation and it's we just lived in the realm of like tricky relationships, conversations, power dynamics, saying yes, saying no, navigating how a project gets done, a lot of, you know, messy human people things. So thank you for helping guide us through some of these really tricky challenges. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was fun. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.